Hi, everyone. I'm Carrie Gann, and this is Health Now, WebMD's podcast about all things health and wellness. Thanks for joining us this week. We've got a great show for you. Let's begin today with an interview from WebMD's chief medical officer, Dr. John White. My guest today is Kara Swisher. Kara is a journalist who writes on tech, and you know her from her editorials in the New York Times, her appearances on NBC, and her work at the Wall Street Journal, where she was a writer and the executive editor of All Things Digital. She is host of the wildly popular Recode Decode podcast, where she interviews tech execs, politicians, celebrities, and they all talk about big ideas. Mm -hmm. And today we're turning the tables and we're interviewing Kara. So thanks for taking the time today. No problem. Now, you've been very open about your health. Mm -hmm. And in March, you penned an editorial in the New York Times Mm -hmm. about your experience with a mini stroke that you had attributed symptoms. Many strokes. Like, it was a stroke. <laughs> that you had attributed symptoms right. to migraines. And you mentioned that you texted your brother, who's mm-hmm. a doctor, and I don't know if my sisters would text me <laughs> if they were having symptoms. But well, why did you decide? I was to, abroad to and I had yeah. a, I had, had migraines for years. And I, there are some linkages between migraines and strokes. Sure. I, that wasn't really was my, my concern, is that I was there and uh, and wasn't able to, sp- I got a f- uh, dysphagia, I think that's what it's called. Like, sure. I couldn't speak, mm-hmm. and I, it was mumbling. And I had a little bit of tingling. I didn't have that many, I had the, all the symptoms, but not heavy versions of them. And so I wasn't incapacitated. I was moving around. And so I just, he was, he, I was in Hong Kong, but I texted him. I'm like, I always text him when I have something. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this looks funny. Let me send you a picture of it. And he puts up with it very jovially yeah. about it. But I, I still ask him, and then whether I should do anything about it. And so, um, so he immediately, you know, contacted me as soon as he woke up and said, you need to get to a hospital right, right away. And I think he saved my life. I, I mm-hmm. do. Because I think that whole thing around uh, strokes are fast, right, right. F-A-S-T, um, you have to get to the hospital mm-hmm. really quickly. And so they were able to get medications mm-hmm. in me really quickly to, um, you know, anticoagulants yeah. and things like that. And but so I think you wrote in, you told him he's a bad doctor. He's a bad doctor. <laughs> I'm like, what are you ta- like, why are you going to stroke? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's like seeing like a, like a, a little thing on your hand. Like, that's cancer. Right. Like, what? Like... But Just we also slow know down, doctor. you call 911 because right. that's the fast aspect. But you pointed out how you were in Hong Kong and you drove yourself. No, I, I was believe. driven. I got okay. a cab. I got a, I, I, I got a cab. Better. I didn't have a car in Hong Kong. But okay. it was, you know, I was I was unconcerned as I should have mm-hmm. been. And he was what was really important is he told me to have uh, get a get not a CAT scan, but an MRI. That's right. Like that was critical. Like I think a CAT scan might not have shown mm-hmm quite the extent of what was going on. And so he was very specific about what should happen, you know, even if it wasn't do this. Um, And so I really appreciated that. That was a great moment. And we talk about lifestyle changes Mm -hmm. and, you know, in terms of managing our blood pressure, in terms of watching weight, eating healthy, being active. Right. Um, And lots of times when folks have an incident, then they they make changes and folks come to our site all the time to find information. But it's still hard. Yeah. Well, in this decisions. case, you know, everyone was funny. When you have a stroke, everyone's like, you got to slow down. I'm like, this had nothing to do with my work. Like, I was like, I'm going to work more. Like, I love yeah. to work. I love my work. <laughs> because it didn't. It was, I had a hole in my heart. I have a PFO. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I had that, I think it's called med- F4, F5 mm-hmm. variation. So I, it was all genetic. A lot of it was genetic. Mm-hmm. And and so it wasn't, I don't have high blood pressure. I have quite low blood pressure, right. in fact. Um, it's extraordinarily low. And so it wasn't that. It wasn't, and it wasn't, it stress doesn't have anything to mm-hmm. do with it, like kind of thing. And so I do think that it's really important to put yourself in that frame of mind. It is great that I have low blood pressure. It is great that I eat relatively healthy. I don't drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't smoke. Um, I think those are all 
contributing forces to making a stroke worse than it is, and so That's that right. you have other things that then the systems break down. Mm -hmm. That's from what I broadly understand it. One one system breaks down, it tends to collapse others. Mm -hmm. And so I think I had a, I, I'm in very good health, and it helped in, sure. in recovery. And, and so how are you feeling now? Great, uh, great. I haven't had another mm -hmm. incident. Knock on wood. But uh, I, I don't. I, but I'm cognizant of it. I get checked quite a bit. Um, uh, in fact, I should probably go for another MRI soon. Um, you know, most of them said it was something that was like a hole-in-one, that it's not going to happen right. again. And so, uh, but, you know, I'm, I still have the hole in my heart. I didn't get it fixed. Mm -hmm. I, I, I talked to a lot of people. I was on anticoagulant medicine, which is very brutal, you know, to the body. It's making of impact drugs mm -hmm. on your body. And I stopped taking them after a lot of consultation with doctors, and I'm on an aspirin regimen, essentially. So we'll see. And and you were candid about your do your uh, father dying yes. of a brain aneurysm. Yeah, that and was you, a separate thing. And yeah. you had but you had this great line in mm -hmm. there that you said ever since then mm -hmm. death was ever present. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm a death obsessed person. <laughs> so I have the that? app. I, I did a podcast <laughs> with the guy who started uh, We Croak, which is uh -huh, my favorite sure. app. It's uh, mm -hmm. it gives you death quotes every yeah. five five times a day, and apparently it makes you happier. And I do. I'm very. I think I'm very. Uh, one of the things that motivates me is knowing about being aware of death from yeah. the very early time of my life. And so if you're aware of it, you know, it's sort of like no matter how you struggle and strive, you're never getting out of this life alive. Like it doesn't right, matter. Yeah. So I, I do, you want to get out in a healthy way. You want to get out in a, like a dignified way. And I think, but I, you're getting out, like yeah. it doesn't matter. And so I think about that and it's important. It motivates me when I'm upset about anything or there's some work thing. I'm like, oh, I'll be dead in 50 years. What do I care? And I'll go ahead. Well, and it makes me more aggressive in my work. Yeah. And, and so. how it impacts your decisions. Mm -hmm. You had a line that you don't know if there'll be a tomorrow. No, so you exactly. Make all your oh, I'm decisions. aware that there'll not be a tomorrow. Yeah. And the most famous uh, speech on this was Steve Jobs, mm -hmm. who, you know, he, who gave a speech at Stanford about this and how death was the thing that motivated him most. And he had gone through several health scares and he had recovered from his first bout with cancer. So he, I think he thought he was going to be okay. And he gave a really great speech about how it motivated him throughout his life. And so it was an interesting, I've always thought that speech was one of the best speeches about mm -hmm. that. But it's not to be morbidly obsessed with it. It's that you ha what, how, how are we going to deal with this? And, you know, especially since Silicon Valley is working on so many anti-aging things. Yes. And, and, and it's not health care. It's, it's being healthy, healthy aging, essentially. Mm -hmm. And how, not that they're trying to stop death. I think that's a little bit of a I mean, some of them are, mm -hmm. but I think the idea is, could you live to 500 and what does that look like? That's an mm -hmm. interesting question. Could you live to 120 and, but be healthy, um, during that, uh, that time period? And so you don't immediately degenerate at 80, just break down right. like an old car. And can you do things not, you know, adding body parts, adding, mm -hmm. replacing things, eating certain ways. Sure. And I think that's super interesting, the use of technology to, to lengthen life. I think it's 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 a good life to the end kind mm -hmm. of thing. So you'd be healthy up until you die. And we do and know mobile. that lifestyle plays a major role in how long yeah. we live. People often think it's genetics, but we actually think that's less than 20%. Yeah, but it's, it, lifestyle impact. is definitely part of it. But can you intervene on, can you do ectoskeletons? Can mm -hmm. you do, like, it's a really interesting time period to think about. Like, And then the question is, what do we do if we live this right. long? Do, do we want to live that long? Right. It has to do, be a quality like, do, life. Do, exactly. And not everyone gets to live that long. Yeah. It's going to be a function of wealth and um, you know, that's that's such a bright line is how rich yeah. you are, is how long you live. 
Um, but life expectancy has gone down in this country mm-hmm. um, because of all kinds of things, and and including the internet, including the uses and loneliness that's called the mental Absolutely. loneliness that the internet causes a lot of people in depression. So uh, it's just and it, grief. We've grief. done a lot on the aspect yeah. of, of grief, and, and at the and same at grieve. the same time, how you can use the internet to not feel like you can you have so many more tools at your disposal to communicate with people, which is both good and bad. So. Well, speaking on tools, I don't know if you saw in the Times this mm-hmm. morning. They had an article about how the National Health Service in the UK mm-hmm. is now allowing their um, members to use Alexa. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting mm-hmm. is the Alexa. article oh, the no. article oh, no. online has a different title mm-hmm. than the title is in print. And, and mm-hmm. I thought I'd read you the, the title okay. in print said, okay. can't reach your doctor, mm-hmm. call Alexa. It, it's different on print, but okay. how do you feel about that? Because in I don't your want situation, them in my house. I don't. It, yeah. I, I listen. My kids unplug all them. I, mm-hmm. We have all of them. The Google one, and I don't like them. And I don't think I, it's an interesting thing. Why don't thing. you like because them I, it's private companies? It's private companies inside of things. Like I don't, I'm not sure I trust Google to. Um, to know a lot about that much about me inside my home. I don't trust you, them outside my home. So but what about providing the information? So in theory, if we say you can't reach your doctor, and let's be honest, if it's yeah. after six o'clock, it's going to be hard. Yeah, I'd uh, rather so have, I'd rather have Apple do it. I, you know, okay. Apple getting into health, I just, I, you, you have to figure out how we can do this in a private, that protects privacy. Yeah. And it's just the companies in the, in the head of this are often companies that just are, have run rampant over privacy issues. Are you concerned about the provider who's providing that information as opposed to the type of information? No, because I think they can get correct information to you. They don't always. I mean, Mm -hmm. with this fake news and everything else, whatever, your disinformation, I don't want to use the term fake news, but, you know, I want to, I'm not worried about the content because I think, like, Google search does a good Mm -hmm. job of that. It's just... I don't they they can't help but reach in and do other things. Your time to take your pill and by the way buy it and by the way this like I'm not sure we want these private companies to be quite so in charge of which is very personal data. Yeah. Um I think we have to think about are there other companies in the future that that respect people's privacy in a way. And I think that's one of the reasons healthcare has been so slow is because there's so many privacy issues around it. Sure. Um at the same time, technology could be used so much better in terms of care, uh, communications between caregivers and and patients, mm-hmm. between doctors and among doctors. And, you know, I have a, a health portal I use at uh, hospitals that I've been to, and they're terrible. They're just terrible. Like yeah. the communications, this encrypted They're not messaging. always accurate as well. They're just terrible. I don't know. They're just like, like, I feel like I'm internet 1990s. Well, what do you think are the barriers not? to innovation? You talked a little bit about privacy. I think there's some element of what the United States as a physician is this yeah. clinical inertia. I'm not necessarily going to try something new. Yeah, I, don't I mean, know there's if been I attempts. There's it. been attempts of all yeah. these kind of new of kinds of ways to get care. Yeah. You know, there's a whole bunch going on in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley, and there's a whole bunch of uh, diagnostic stuff, stuff around like um, wearing devices yeah. and things like that. Um, I think it's that you know doctors are super comfortable doing it in their personal life if they're using any kind of apps, mm-hmm. but certainly not in the other way. And I think doctors have to realize, and caregivers have to realize that a lot of what they do is not going to be what they're going to do in 10 years. Diagnostics, for example, like AI is really going to take the place of quite a lot of diagnostics mm-hmm. and probably will do a better job, like looking, even looking at x-rays, like things like that that, that come in mass, integrating a lot of data. You know, diagnostics sure. is a guess a mm-hmm. lot of times. I mean, you there's know, uncertainty in it. Well, it's just there, but there doesn't that. have to be. Yeah. You know, I, I remember looking at a, a I had a blood issue that was uh, – I had very low white blood cells. And my doctor, one of the doctors I was dealing with, the, the um, hematologist, was like – they couldn't figure out why. And mm-hmm. they couldn't answer why. Like it was really interesting. 
And I was, and they said, you have uh, neutropenia. And I yeah. said, ah. Uh, low white blood count. Exactly. Yeah. I said, you just described it. Because yeah. I'm not like any person yeah. I can read. <laughs> and I know I can look words up real yeah. fast. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you just described what I had. I have low white blood cells. You didn't say why or what right. it is. And they said, well, it's neutropenia. I'm like, yeah, that's a description, not a diagnosis. Yeah. And it was, and they were sort of irritated by me. I was like, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, like, don't <laughs> give me, a, just say the the um, the easy word right. kind of thing. And I was getting some blood tests and stuff like that regularly to, to, to monitor it. And all of a sudden, one of the people who was taking the blood, they're like, oh, we've seen a lot of that with women who've had a baby. And I was like, what? Like, how, where are the patterns? Like, right. there's patterns, that, right. but nobody knows what. And so when you look, when you go to a doctor's office and you see all those files, there are so many answers in those files, That's so right. many patterns, so many things that AI and, and quantum computing and is big going data. To, We're not analyzing big data, big data like, well. Which is and there's all kinds data. of issues. Right, yeah. but, like, there's things, there's ants. I look That's at right. those walls of files and I'm like there's mm -hmm. answers in there there's yeah. answers there's patterns there's things but there's this one patterns. this one tech uh, you know person that was pulling my blood mm -hmm. had noticed it and I don't know if that's true or not I didn't mm -hmm. know and I was like what if they're right and what if right. how what's what's between me and the other person who had it why was it this and so I think diagnostics is an area that's mm -hmm. going to be removed from doctors eventually yeah. in, in general like yeah. and and so doctors will have to do two things become more creative mm -hmm. like and and change what care is be, be more focused on care well, Eric Topol talks about right. that, about how AI is actually going to make healthcare more human. It and is. And a lot of people are saying, well, how can that be? I, I think you don't folks need to sit around and figure it out. perception you're going to be seen by a robot. That's not what we're right. talking about in right. terms of AI. No, because that doesn't work. Because, no. you know, one of the things that's really interesting, I was talking to roboticists, and, you know, there's ideas around caregivers that are robots kind yeah. of thing. And humans do a very good job of mm -hmm. it compared to computers. And one of the things that I remember one of the roboticists telling me, I think it was at MIT or somewhere, that they can't get the eyes right. The yeah. eyes of the robotic caregivers, that That's there's a connection. And so it, someday they'll get that right. Yeah. Someday there will be a robot you will not, you will feel yeah. comfortable talking to. And you should. And I think that's great for lots of reasons. Uh, for efficiencies, especially around stuff that's just like, oh, it's the cold, for goodness mm -hmm. sake. Um, but you have to figure out what the role of a doctor going forward is. And that's going to be really interesting. Yeah. That is, to me, that is going to be a change of what you do. Mm -hmm. Like you, you spend. It seems like you fill out forms and try yeah. to figure things out much more so than you deal with patient care. So Ooh. if you had your magic wand, what's yeah. the one thing that you would change in terms of how, how does, we deliver care? How you, we structure the time of going. Like that, there's things that can be done that don't need. You don't need to. That you can do much more uh, over a Skype. You know, over mm -hmm. much more. Do you believe digital. in telemedicine? Do you Some of it, yes, that? yeah, it makes sense. Some of it, so like, like imagine you don't go to stores anymore the way you used to. Yeah. Why does Amazon work so well? Every Everyone said, oh, you need a person in a story. And you don't, like in certain things. And so figure out what works. One of the things I always say to people, everything that can be digitized will be digitized. So what can be digitized well and what can't be digitized well? And what is better in a different way? But certainly a lot of the inefficiencies around scheduling, a lot of the inefficiencies around I have I spend more time whenever I have a medical issue than anything else. Like I can like buy a house quicker. You know what I mean, and then so schedule it's sort a specialist of right, you exactly, met. and so and 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 also how you know who's good and how you know references. Yeah. That's getting there. You know, Yelp is not the answer, yeah. not for like, doctors. No, but no. there, that's where doctors compete. Yeah. Like I have a friend who's like, oh, I got a good Yelp rating, and I'm mm -hmm. like, what? Like that. But at the same time, there's a lot of wisdom in the crowd too. Like you know, people know if the doctors are good. And, but and how do they know that? They ask well, their they, friends. They, you as ask your friends, but it's like measures. asking. Yes, yes. but it, if you trust certain people online and certain sites, it does help. 
And so that's, you know, doctors and lawyers and politicians, everyone has benefited for, from ignorance. And now people are armed with some more knowledge. Yeah. And the question is, is that knowledge good knowledge? They certainly, gatekeepers love it when people don't know things, mm-hmm. right? And sure. so why would they like this in any way? And why would they lean into it? When in fact, it would free them to have a better right. profession, not to not to be spending all their time on it. It's like the other day, someone was like, well, I don't like this. And that. like, I was like, you don't churn your butter anymore, sure. for goodness sake. You don't like, there's so many, you don't look yeah. at map, like opening a map. Like, it's just easier using the yeah. Google. It's better, it's easier. And so what I tend to look at is what's, what's actually a better experience than before? Yeah. And did we lose something important? Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't with maps. Yeah. I mean, opening a map is nice, but mm-hmm. why? And what do you see are the latest trends in, in terms of Healthcare, tech relating to I think health? a lot of these devices you wear on you, like the a lot of these, yeah, the wearables is, is still. In, I used to call them unwearables, but some okay. of the some of the data that you can put in about your health every day, like you're carrying these computers in your right. hands, that should be able to die. Like and that give goes you, with the health record, and then yeah, how we communicate right, but with like physicians. So, stuff like your cardia is interesting, like mm-hmm. your heartbeat, like. People with, with, with care that needs to be ongoing, there's a sure. lot of interesting stuff around that. There's certain things I've seen, uh, things where it can take a picture of your face and know things, sure. like changes. How you talk, like it can start to see, yeah. you know, how your voice is or your facial expressions. Um, sometimes Eric you have Tobel a, talked about yeah, in his book there's how a lot of gives. if we looked at it just a human eye, just uh-huh. the image of the eye, we're right 50% of the time, which is by chance, whether uh-huh. it's a male or uh-huh. a female eye. Uh-huh. But computers and AI can uh-huh. actually be trained to detect it properly. It's a right. male or female right. eye, 95%. Yeah, by looking exactly. at those They're patterns, and that's where you know perhaps computers the advancements are. are. And, and he often talks about how he's hopeful about the role of tech and innovation in health. And everyone's not. Right. Are you hopeful? Yes, I am. Of course, 100%. I think the issue, we've got, just like what's happened with social media, they didn't anticipate the consequences. It had a a hopefulness to it of bringing people together and to talk in a great communications thing, and it hasn't worked so well. Well, it's because we didn't anticipate, hey, like, I don't know why. Um, But in this case, there's some very clear things you need to anticipate. Privacy, um, abuse of the information, you know, actual malevolent abuse of the information, uh, things that you can do that maybe you shouldn't be able to do, like sell your kidneys. Like, should you be able to sell your data? Like, Mm. isn't it like kidneys? Isn't our data already being sold? Yes, it is. But should you be able (laughs) to sell it yourself? Like, maybe you should have control of it. What, uh, you know, there's all kinds of, I could think of 20 different bad outcomes, and we should be able to sort of start to figure that out. And I, I always, when I talk to all product people, it's I have this thing that I say over and over again, which is if you can imagine your product an episode of Black Mirror, maybe you better mm-hmm. think again and think about it again and maybe not make it so that it becomes a Black Mirror right. episode. But I do think on the whole, the ability to monitor health is a great thing. It's just when you have an ability to track people by their DNA easily, you know, easily, like they don't have to, like they don't have to go through the court systems. That's troubling. That's very troubling. Even, you know, facial recognition is another thing. And the ability to change your identity. You could maybe, you know, there might be in the future, some of the sci-fi stuff is going to come true. 
Um, mm. And so if we can imagine it, it we can make it. Sure. And so I, 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 those are the things I worry about. And, uh, and at the same time, the last thing is giving health care to lots and lots of people around the globe. And that's mm. one of the things that I think is the most promising is that tele, not, not just through telemedicine, through phones, through telemedicine, through, through monitoring, through, you know, advanced stuff that the Gates Foundation is mm-hmm. doing. It's like there's ways to solve yeah. problems like, you know, we solved cholera. Well, there's still cholera, but we solved a lot of stuff. Very There's quickly, measles. measles. I think cancer research is going. Computing is the answer. And to where we are today versus where we were of ten compu- years ago. Because That's of computing, right. and biomarkers, it just, and it's just personalized precision medicine. Precision medicine is fascinating yeah. because you know, you know, I was just ta- someone was talking about that happiness study. It was four hundred men yes. they followed. Well, happiness is is critical to health, right, and, sure. and longevity. And so it so it was a, really a medical study, but they only studied 400 men over right. the course of their life. Well, you know, precision medicine will be all sure. be able to study each of us and every one of us, and that's really fascinating. And the power of purpose, but we'll save that for another yes, day because I know day. you thank have you to so go. Much. Yes, but I want to thank you for sharing thank your you. health journeys. Thank you. Uh, in your still platform, <laughs> that's great, Until as well I'm not. as helping us to see where innovation is leading us in healthcare. So thank you, thank you, Kara. Thanks so much to Dr. White and Kara Swisher for that conversation, and we thought that their chat brought up some important points about stroke, that it can happen quickly and you might not even know you're having one. So we wanted to take this chance to dive into that a little bit. We asked our chief medical editor, Dr. Michael Smith, to join us for some answers. Hey, Dr. Smith. Hi there. All right, let's start with the basics for anyone who may not be too sure. What is a stroke? A stroke is just a blockage in an artery that supplies blood to the brain. Okay, simple enough. And when she had the stroke, Kara said that she didn't have the typical symptoms. She just had a little tingling and trouble speaking, which is also called dysphagia. What are the most common symptoms, though? Yeah, and those are included in what we would consider common symptoms. So think of the acronym BEFAST, B-E-F-A-S-T, which really just reinforces the need to quickly identify symptoms and take prompt action for the best chance of recovery. So B is for balance problems. E is for your eyes with sudden vision problems. F is like blurry vision, vision, trouble seeing, and sudden changes, right? Not just if you've developed bad vision over a period of few months. Got it. And then F is for facial drooping, so drooping or weakness in your face. A is arm weakness. S is the speech difficulties. And T is time to call 911 because regardless of your symptoms, you definitely want to call for emergency medical help. And would you be calling if you had any of those or would you need to have all of them at once? No, just one of those is really enough criteria to consider that you may be having a stroke and prompt action can really make all the difference. Right. Kara and Dr. White were talking about both a stroke and a mini stroke. Is there a difference between the two things? There is a difference, uh, but a stroke and a mini stroke are caused by the same thing, and it's that blockage in an artery supplying blood to the brain. The difference is that the symptoms of a mini-stroke are temporary, which is why we call it medically a TIA, which means transient ischemic attack, meaning a temporary blockage in an artery. Symptoms of a TIA typically will resolve in about an hour, but that does not mean they're not serious. They're a sign that you are at a significantly increased risk 
for a full-blown stroke, so not to be ignored. And you never want to wait to see if your stroke symptoms resolve before calling 911 because that emergency help, getting that emergency help right away will help doctors determine if you indeed have a stroke and if you did to get that prompt medical treatment to decrease uh, further brain damage. So emergency help for both a stroke and a mini stroke. Don't try to figure out which one you're having. Absolutely. Just don't, get help. don't waste time. Just get to the emergency room right away. Makes sense. Another thing I thought was interesting was Kara said she had a history of migraine headaches, and she mentioned, uh, you know, the connection to stroke. What is that link between those two conditions? Yeah, I really want to be clear here because the increased risk of a stroke in someone that has a history of migraine is extremely small. Hmm. Migraine is common, especially in young women. Stroke is not. But there is a very slight increase in the risk of stroke among women who have migraine with aura. So what that means, a migraine that is preceded by symptoms prior to the headache, such as visual changes like seeing flashes of light, blind spots, possibly even tingling in the, in the face or hands. The risk is even higher in women who have migraine with aura who smoke. So stop smoking, period. There does not appear to be an increase in risk for migraine without aura. Just know that the risk is extremely small, not something to be overly concerned about, but if you need yet another reason to stop smoking, there you go. Oh, there are many reasons, yes. but there's Add another this one. to the list. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, I want to get a little specific for a moment. Kara mentioned that she has what she called the F5 gene variation, so that she may have been genetically programmed to have a stroke. What does this gene do? Well, the F5 gene tells your body to make a protein called coagulation factor 5. Coagulation factors work together to help your blood clot. So a change in the gene, or, or what we call a mutation, called factor 5 Leiden, can, to put it simply, make your blood more likely to clot and form that blood clot that can cause a stroke. Okay, that makes sense. Kara said she got better results detecting the stroke from an MRI than a CT scan. She said she got that advice that that would be the best diagnostic tool to use. What can an MRI tell about a stroke that a CT scan can't? Well, MRIs are better at detecting the brain changes that occur shortly after a stroke, like within the first 12 hours. So when possible, the choice is an MRI, so the diagnosis of a stroke can be confirmed, prompt action can be taken, you know, such as giving the clot buster drugs to relieve that blockage when appropriate. However, in many cases, really depending on which hospital you're at, where you're getting your care, a CT scan may still be done because it's more readily available. In that case, it's better to have the CT scan to avoid delay in diagnosis because clot buster drugs are more effective when used earlier on after symptoms develop. So CT scans are still pretty common in the diagnosis of a stroke. Just that time factor again, exactly. making sure you get help quickly. Right. Another thing is that she mentioned she had a hole in her heart, what's called a PFO or a patent foramen ovale. What exactly is that? And how is that linked to a stroke? Very interesting. I mean, the foramen ovale is a small hole in the heart that connects the two upper chambers of the heart in, in a fetus while we're still in the womb. In the womb, we're not breathing. The lungs aren't functional. So there's no need for the heart to pump blood to the lungs. Instead, the oxygen-rich blood comes in from the umbilical cord into the heart 
most of it bypasses the lungs through that little hole, through the foramen ovale, and gets pumped to the rest of the body where it's needed. Now, when we're born, it's actually still open in everyone, but it typically closes within the first few months of life. But when it doesn't close properly, it's called a patent, meaning open foramen ovale. It's actually quite common, remaining open in about 25% of people. Most people never know they have it, and they never need any treatment. But rarely, it can be an issue with stroke. Because we form tiny little blood clots in the veins of our legs all the time. The tiny clots travel to our hearts, which sounds horrible, but then they go to the lungs, and they get filtered out in the tiny little blood vessels there. But with a patent foramen ovale, one of these clots could make its way into our brain. While the tiny clot wouldn't be a problem in the lungs, could certainly be a problem in the brain where it can cause stroke. That is interesting. Just sort of a little quirk of anatomy that you may not even know that you have. Hmm. How would you ever get that diagnosed? Would you just... You would have to have the proper test to show that you do have a patent foramen ovale. They sometimes will do it um, when someone has a stroke, especially a younger person, and you cannot identify any other reason. Then they'll go looking for that, given how common it is. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Kara mentioned being on anticoagulants, or blood thinners and aspirin. Mm-hmm. Is that a normal regimen that someone might be on after they've had a stroke? Yes, that's normal. After an ischemic stroke, meaning a stroke caused by a blood clot, by far the most common type of a stroke as opposed to a hemorrhagic stroke, which is bleeding in the brain, People are put on blood thinners after an ischemic stroke, typically aspirin and oftentimes another blood thinner along with it. And especially for someone who has that patent foramen ovale, they would require blood thinning treatment unless they have surgery or a procedure to actually close the hole. Okay. So that's pretty much what anybody, what would happen to anybody? Pretty much anybody that after a stroke to help prevent another stroke. Got it. Okay. Kara says that she keeps her blood pressure low, she eats well, she doesn't drink, she doesn't smoke, even before the stroke. Um, Obviously, she had a lot of other factors going on with a hole in her heart and the gene variation and those kinds of things. But for a lot of people, lifestyle is a big factor that they're going to want to address after a stroke. So what are some of the things that you would recommend people focus on when they need to make those lifestyle changes? You definitely want to take steps to address risk factors. The good thing is, What you do to help prevent a stroke also helps prevent a heart attack, the number one killer, right? So that includes keeping your blood pressure under control, eating a healthy diet, which means low in saturated fat and trans fat to help keep our cholesterol levels down, decreasing salt to help keep our blood pressure low, losing weight if needed, and increasing fruit and especially vegetables, big proponent of vegetables. I would even add to that decreasing decreasing sugar intake. And of course, again, If you smoke, stop. I I really can't stress how important that is, especially for the risk of a stroke. If you have diabetes, of course, work with your doctor. Keep your blood sugar, good control, very important. And, you know, just move more. We know that regular exercise can help decrease the risk of a stroke. I'm not talking about starting today, 30 minutes a day. If you're not exercising at all, even five minutes a day, start there. Work up to 30 minutes most days of the week, but really just move more today than you did yesterday. All of those things will help decrease the risk of a first stroke or even a second stroke if you've already had one. All right. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for clearing up some of these questions on strokes for us. My pleasure.
There's one more thing we want you to keep in mind, what to do and what not to do if you think someone is having a stroke. First and most important, do call 911 right away. Any stroke is an emergency, and some medicines must be given quickly to work. When you're on the phone with 911, say that you think it may be a stroke. It helps if you note when the symptoms started, too. Don't wait to see if the symptoms stop, and don't let the person who's having symptoms delay. Also, don't let them go to sleep, even if they say they feel like it. And don't give them medications, even aspirin, or anything to eat or drink. Do loosen any tight clothing if it's making it harder for them to breathe, and do start CPR if they don't have a pulse. If you yourself ever have stroke-like symptoms, don't try to drive yourself to the hospital. It's way too dangerous to yourself and to other people on the road. Plus, the ambulance crew may be able to start treating you before you even get to the hospital. And one last tip. After you call 911, unlock the front door so the ambulance crew can get in easily. Every moment counts. That's all for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Talk to you next time.